podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. The Reds picked up a much-needed three points this past Wednesday as goals from Virgil van Dijk and Mo Salah helped the Reds defeat Wolves in what is finally their last game against the side this season. With Klopp's side now up to sixth in the table, the Reds will be looking ahead to the arrival of in-form Manchester United this Sunday at Anfield. With the Red Devils having secured their first trophy in six years last weekend, confidence is high amongst Eric Ten Hag's camp. Joining me on the pod this week to discuss what's been a remarkable turnaround for Manchester United since the last time they rocked up at Anfield, I'm delighted to welcome back award-winning author and Manchester United correspondent for The Athletic, Carl Anker. Welcome back, Carl. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do enjoy the uh, the very formal uh, welcome back to you onto these uh, onto these discussions that we have from time to time. Uh, uh, actually, recorded conversations about Liverpool and Manchester Manchester United. Um, I feel like we've we've gone through it a little bit in terms of the saga of both sides and where they where they are in their own personal psychodramas at the time in which we. We chat. Uh, it's a, a very interesting time to talk, I think, because uh, I'm thinking about sort of previous games where a Manchester United side have arrived at uh, Anfield. And I think we've spoken in the past about, oh, it looks like that collection of uh, individuals don't like each other very much. Uh, and actually, I think that's something that could probably have been more leveled uh, towards Liverpool in recent weeks, which probably says a lot about where the two sides are. As of course, so does the fact that United are ten points ahead of Liverpool, having played the same games, sitting in third place, whilst Liverpool are in in sixth. But I, I, I suppose the first question I'd ask you is, um, what's the current state of play for United? Where are they currently at? It feels like they're in a good vein of form and uh, feeling confident and in, enjoying their football. Would you say League Cup champions, baby? Woo! Yes, it feels. <laughs> It feels good to be a Manchester United fan. Oh. Uh, to be to be writing about Manchester United, it feels good. You're you're not constantly having to write the same two hundred words about the lack of a defensive <laughs> midfielder because Casemiro is there now. You're not constantly bemoaning the lack of joined up thinking because Eric Ten Hag appears to be doing that for mm. everyone involved at Manchester United. Um, Manchester United have won the most games of every any team in Europe's top five leagues at the moment. They've scored wow. more goals than any they've scored more goals than anyone else in Europe's top five leagues. This is all a sleight of hand statistic. The reason they've won so many games <laughs> and they've scored so many goals is because they've played at least six more games than everyone else. Um <laughs> and it I was asked this earlier this morning in saying 
are as a Manchester United fan should we not be worried about possibly playing 60 games a se- in this season and mm. then being absolutely knackered for next season like Liverpool were uh, and I think it, it, it's slightly different in that Liverpool's core last season very much felt like a core that's been together for ages mm. and eventually it's sort of gone their separate ways so this team this feels like a, a Manchester United team with a core that's coming together and coalescing yeah. just about shall we oh. say yeah, I was going to say as well. Like, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't have tanned the the average age of the current United side uh, in comparison to probably what that Liverpool side was at the end of end of last season. Do you do you know what that is, or is that, I imagine it's on the younger side? It's on the younger side. So yeah, there, there, there's certain images in Manchester United's best hit first eleven, like Casemiro, Rafael, yeah, Varane, yeah. that are uh, in more of a win now status. But there mm-hmm. are other individuals that you can say are are, are win later or can win later as well <laughs> yeah. I think what's good about this Manchester United team is there's definite potential for growth even though Manchester United are good you can go okay well this is an area that needs growing this is an area that needs growing this is an area that needs developing and they can get even better which I think I mean even the most um, optimistic Manchester United fan will tell you that their rivals will probably come back next season and and the race for top four next season and, and the Premier League title is going to be pretty, pretty tense, even if United do become fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, just 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 wait till we sign a midfielder. You know, that's the, <laughs> I think that's probably where, where most level fans are. It's actually funny because I, I do remember we spoke before the season, I think, and we spoke about, I mean, we spoke both informally and formally or whatever about uh, where we thought both sides were at. And uh, I, I definitely remember that we did go, do we have enough? Do you think Liverpool have enough in midfield? Uh, and I think my response was no, probably probably not. But even I didn't sort of foresee the the, the level of drop off or just the fact that you know when obviously when when players reach a certain age at times you you, you don't currently realize just how many uh, or how those miles on the clock are going to affect them until perhaps sometimes the campaign starts. But just to to go back to United, I remember we spoke about Ten Hag coming in, the challenges facing him. Uh, I remember initially you were surprised by. The way in which he was approaching the the rebuild, if you will, like uh, you, I think you may perhaps had other ideas about how he might tackle it. Uh, it's fair to say he's done things uh, in his own way, but I think his own way has perhaps not been what people necessarily expected when he came in with the reputation that he had from his time in the Eredivisie. Um, tell us your thoughts a bit on, on sort of how Ten Hag has uh, sort of grown into the job and how he's uh, how he's approached this rebuild. Yeah, yeah. So, so coming into the season, I did the thing I often do when I work at the Athletic, which is I I, I do a shopping series. So I, I go in the, the tactics truck and I say, you know, this football club has these certain weaknesses, and based on you know they need a right back, they need a central midfielder, they need this and this and this, uh, and based on the style of football they're currently playing, they should probably go out and buy beep 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 these sorts of players. You know, if you're all, I went to this summer thinking, okay, Manchester United probably will bring back Jaden Sancho and put him on the right-hand side of the midfield. And therefore, they need a very good overlapping right-back. So here's a bunch of overlapping right-backs they can go shop, shopping for. What actually happened was Eric Ten Hag didn't believe Jaden Sancho would be the solution to the to the right-wing situation and spent the better part of £86 million on Anthony, which then created... Uh, a need for a different style of right back, and so therefore Diego Dalla w- was was sufficient there as well. Um, and I think 
there's been a there's been more than one person who has misdiagnosed Eric Ten Hag. I think the the it can be very easy to see a Dutch football manager be in charge of Ajax and be the reserve team manager of Bayern Munich when Pep Guardiola was the head coach of Bayern Munich and think ah he's he just wants to play Pep Guardiola juggernaut position positional play football. Uh, and earlier this week, I, I was on the overlap with, with Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, and it was a bit what Gary Neville said. You know, he, he referred to Eric Ten Hag as Pep Guardiola's disciple, to which I later went, "That is not true. He's not Pep Guardiola's disciple." Um, and the thing about Eric Ten Hag that made him more appealing than other Ajax managers like Frank de Boer or Peter Bosch or others who were good at Ajax but then left and were less good elsewhere, is that Ten Hag travelled, right? He, he went off to, to Bayern Munich. He, he was a manager of Go Ahead Eagles. He was a manager at FC Utrecht. He was an assistant manager at FC 20 under Steve McLaren. He was not a... Um... Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Zealot to the Kraufian ideals of 4-3-3 in total football. He, as, as we saw with that Ajax team, the second Ajax team that, that was doing well in Europe and won the Eredivisie, he's not above bringing in a striker like Sebastian Haller and pumping it long to the big man. And I think that adaptability has been really, really useful at Manchester United. Those first two games against Brighton and Brentford had many people trying to draw comparisons to Frank De Boer. And then you saw in the 2-1 victory over Liverpool, he changed things. David Hare stopped passing short and started kicking it long. And it doesn't sound remarkable, but at a time where so many managers become known for one thing and they're... Uh, hesitancy to try other things Ten Hag's ability to change and to let the players and the players around him define the style of what he wants to play stands mm. him up as a very very good football manager from the outside looking in what do you make of him this season yeah no pragmatist is is, is something that I would I, I'd probably level at him in that uh, I think not knowing huge amounts about about his career prior to him coming to the Premier League yeah I think it would have been quite easy for me to assume that he's yeah, as you said, a, a zealot or a disciple of you know, a, a particular playing style at Ajax. But um, I think it's become pretty clear this season that he's he's looked at the players that he has at his disposal. He's made some interesting choices about some of the players he's decided to bring in. Uh, but uh, I, I think he's also assessed a few that I'm sure some United fans thought their career was probably towards, uh, was probably finished and actually sort of figured out that they can be useful in the particular system that he's trying to, he, he's, he's ultimately created. Uh, and I think you're right. I think there's been such pretty famous system managers in the Premier League over the past five or six years, perhaps even longer than that at this stage. 
uh, and yeah, you do see uh, a resistance to deviating too far away from those systems. And sometimes it has very negative consequences. Sometimes you see you know, a manager like Guardiola uh, be infuriated by perfectly good le- uh, fullbacks uh, because he's, <laughs> they, they're not able to do what he wants them to do. Uh, in, in Liverpool's case as well, um, there's probably two or three different things that Klopp could have tried this season um, and at times did, but has ultimately sort of tried to return to a back-to-basics approach, albeit with like parts that don't quite work. Um Ten Hag, yeah, I do get the impression that he's he's not particularly fussed, but about being known for any one style of 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 football, he has his probably his core principles. But I, I feel like he's assessed the squad uh, and thought, yeah, I can I can work with more of these players than you than you probably think I can. Yeah, and that's that's good, of course. You know, let's let's not pretend he hasn't spent money. The better part yes, of two hundred and fifty yeah. million was spent in the summer, uh, and. I've said this multiple times, but he has changed the spine of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I didn't think right, yeah. I didn't think Eric Ten Hag would come in in this summer and go, "I need to buy yet another centre back." But mm-hmm. the centre back he did go out and buy, Lissandro Martinez, is in my opinion one of the best left centre backs in the world, mm-hmm. and has dramatically changed how Manchester United play football. He goes a very long way to solve their their problems in terms of ball progression. I didn't think. You know, I, I, for all my life, I, I was yelling Manchester United to buy a defensive midfielder. I think I've been saying this since. Yeah, I might have been saying this ever since Michael Carrick retired, or probably even before Michael Carrick retired at Manchester United, saying Manchester United defensive midfielder, go and buy a defensive midfielder. Not the happy with Fellaini. Time, yeah, not happy with. Not happy with Fellaini. Yeah, the yeah. entire time Paul Pogba was at Manchester United, I was saying any any transfer window we don't buy a mm-hmm. defensive midfielder is a waste of time. And then they finally go out and buy a defensive midfielder. It wasn't Frankie de Jong, uh, who initially, who it looked like he was going to be Frankie de Jong for ages, but went out and, and was Casemiro. Uh, and then again, you have that small recalibration where more than one person thought Casemiro was just a tackler who did five-yard passes to Tony Cruz and Luka Modric. Mm-hmm. And it turns out Casemiro is a do-everything midfielder. It's not just tackles, but he's fantastic. He's a fantastic passer. He's excellent at attacking set pieces. He's excellent at defensive set pieces. And, and between him, Casemiro, Lissandro Martinez, and Rafael Varane, who seems to be avoiding injury, yeah. uh, which is a big thing, they've got now a triangle, a trio, however you want to put it. There's three members in, in just ahead of their penalty area now that are superb mm. at defending. Which means the one-on-one battles that made United so weak last season, that is no longer an issue. Luke Shaw is playing closer to his best self. And I think Luke Shaw has always been a cheat code for ball progression from left back. I think his set-piece delivery now has come on leaps and bounds ever since Alex Tellis came in and very clearly seemed to have helped him as well. Um, and then Christian Eriksen, who I, I thought was going to be a backup to, to Bruno Fernandes in the number 10, has turned out being this fantastic number eight player. Um, so yeah, the, the spine of a team at this point is very different to the spine that was last season or the season before that, which means... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m. 
Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Even if there wasn't the extra added structure that Ten Hag's brought in, this is a much better Manchester United squad and a much better Manchester United team than than from the last two years. Yeah, no, I'd agree. And I think, I mean, obviously, it's like I think people like um, sometimes criticise like discussing the intangibles, but I think they're absolutely there in terms of the players that you mentioned there. I mean, uh, Varane, Casemiro, uh, Martinez to sort of a different extent, but certainly in terms of the the mentality that you imagine they bring to a dressing room that was low on confidence. You know, I mean, you've you've got serial winners there. Uh, who like not only are serial winners and have the confidence that comes along with that, but are also uh, people who seem to like, like certainly with Martinez and Casemiro uh, and, and Varane uh, relish the art of defending. It's not something that they have to do. It's not an obligation. It's something that they very much relish. And uh, certainly with Casemiro, with Liverpool having played Real Madrid so many times over uh, the past <laughs> few years, uh, yeah, he's been he's been an absolute nightmare to deal with, in, in, in that just 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 mops up everything that you, you that you would want to try and create any glimmer, or any spark that's that's threatening to ignite more. Uh, he's, he's so so reliable at being uh, in the right position to to mop, to disrupt, to uh, yeah. I think I, I said last week was just, just sucking joy out of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the the opposition team when they think, oh, hang on, they're just you know, just starting to build up some some sort of momentum. And he's uh, he's there. Martinez in a different way. Uh, in, in, at times reminds me a little bit of. I'm not trying to damn him uh, with this. Uh, uh, reminds me of Lovren uh, at times to be honest, in terms of some of the way in which uh, he can like really enjoys some of the more aggressive physical sides of being being a proactive defender, um, getting himself to, uh, sort of very riled up around that. Uh, the, the passion that he shows is very clear. Uh, in terms of that intangible, in terms of about talking about the mentality change, how big do you think that is as well? Because that, that's something that's often been leveled at this group of uh, United players prior to some of the signings coming in. That, uh, that towards the end, it, it didn't take much to, to push them and they'd all fall over. Now, first of all, I think that's the first time I've heard Lissandro Martinez be compared oh, to think? Dejan Lovren. Mm-hmm. Uh, second of all, the intangibles, yeah, really, 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 really interesting um, about winning, winning yeah. softness. If it to, to to put to put it another way, something that was quite interesting to me after the League Cup final was um, the Sky Sports ticker said that the League Cup final on Sunday was Luke Shaw's first ever trophy as a Manchester United player. Really? And wow. there's more, you know, more than one journalist went, that can't be right. Surely he was, you know, surely he won something during the Mourinho years. Uh, and I was talking to Simon Peach, fantastic journalist, works for AP, who observed that he had never been in the matchday squad of any of the trophies United had won uh, in the post Ferguson era. So he was dealing with a leg break under Lou Van Gaal during the FA Cup. Uh, he was left out of one of the matchday squads by Jose Mourinho. 
and uh, was injured in the two after that. So this is Luke Shaw's first one, and you think of the match they the fine you know the match they squad finals of the players beforehand of from last season. You had you know, Rafael Varane's won numerous trophies, um, but you, know, you had Marcus Rashford who'd won who'd featured in the Europa League winning and FA Cup winning trophies with Jose Mourinho. But there weren't many players who had won things at Manchester United because of the six-year trophy drought. Um, so when you bring in someone like Casemiro, who has won everything, uh, and as I mean, victory in the League Cup final meant Casemiro has won his last nine finals. Rafael Varane and Casemiro have won 14 trophies playing together. That's enough. And I think yeah. they've won more each uh, one thing that that still sticks with me was uh, so when Casemiro was unveiled. So just before the the again, I'm going to bring up the two one victory mm-hmm. Liverpool at Old Trafford. He he did an interview in Portuguese uh, and, and he was asked, "Well, how do you feel about leaving a football club like Real Madrid, who are in the Champions League, who are in the Champions League, and you're playing Manchester United, who aren't?" Uh, and he sort of nervously did a joke and goes, "Well, I have five, <laughs> which is." <laughs> Yeah, it's like the, the Dad, silver... it's like the Dad Nicholson line, isn't it? Where he says to, I think he said it to, I think Robin Williams won the uh, won the Oscar for Good Will Hunting or something like that, and walks backstage, and Dad Nicholson says to him, uh, he's also won, and Dad Nicholson says to him, now I have one for every decade. Yeah, <laughs> so that's sort so... of <laughs> you can't really diminish that. <laughs> so... You can't really diminish that, and when, when that when that happens, you you create a. I was I was present at Manchester United's victory at West Ham on Wednesday, mm. and they were pretty bad in that first half. To be perfectly honest with you, Ten Hag rotated to six, six took six people in that new eleven. They didn't really have anything. Then Casemiro came on, and, and in that second half, and they were fantastic. Quite frankly, they they ran out three one winners, and, and even though they went down a, a goal down, they the way they roused themselves to get three goals in was the sort of stuff that teams that win silverware do. And Ten Hag said, this is a team that has got belief now and they're a team that hates losing, which there was definitely a point last season where United would concede one goal and heads would go down and you went, this is over. This is completely over. Mm. Um, and I, I keep bringing up the 2-1 victory for Manchester United at Old Trafford. So I'll bring up the, the Liverpool victory as a form of balance for you. <laughs> um, so so the, the one from last season where, I mean, some of those goals that Liverpool scored Last season, this is at Old Trafford, or is it oh. at, this at, at Old Trafford? Okay, um, were ridiculous. Mm. A, a team that just completely was devoid of confidence, devoid of structure, and seemed to be going through the motions. Also, the Anfield game last season as well, yeah. where Manchester United, at Rag, at Ralph Ragnick said the ambition and the aim they made. They played basically with a back five. And Ralph frankly said, no, the, 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 the aim was to be very, very tight in the first 20 minutes. And you just tore them asunder. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Manchester United have much better structure. And also they've got, uh, I mean, as as the internet parlance says, they've got some dogs in there now, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, no, the x-rays have the x-rays have shown that, uh, yeah, dogs, dogs are present indeed. Uh, Something you mentioned there that, that there's been lots of focus on recently as well has been uh, Eric Ten Hag's capacity to to make effective changes in game, uh, and it's something that I, I've not put too much focus on myself naturally. But in terms of examples of that, 
um, and is it just more examples of of pragmatism and sort of assessing when things that you know, perhaps initial plans haven't worked, you know, being uh, big enough and comfortable enough in himself to make the right changes, even if, even if it's like perhaps other managers would go, oh, well, that's you know, sort of undermining my original uh, approach to this. I mean, what are some of the, those examples of him being a really inf- uh, effective in-game uh, manager? I mean, the simple start is Manchester United have scored well, can't lie. Before West Ham, mm-hmm. Manchester United has scored it was nineteen goals from substitutes. Wow! Uh, so the most in Europe's top five leagues again played more. Yeah, games than everyone else and whatnot. I, I suppose. I, I suppose it's now twenty because of Fred in the FA Cup this uh, on Wednesday. Uh, he has a he being Ten Hag has an ability to understand what the, the, the game state needs and what the playing environment needs. And and you're seeing him make adaptations based not just on positions, but on profiles. So Val Weghorst being used as a number 10 to hold the ball up at the new camp is not something someone would expect an Ajax-educated football manager to do, right? And this is why I when people say, oh, you know, he's an Ajax manager and he's a, He's a Guardiola disciple. He's not. You know, you... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Quote, you know, in air quotes, IX managers don't put a big lad up top at the 10 and tell your goalkeeper kick it along at his chest and have him hold the ball up while everyone can buzz around him. Um, but that's what Ten Hag can do. Uh, there was a moment in the second leg at, at, at Old Trafford, and I was present for it, where Balde swung outside of um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, and Wan-Bissaka went to pressure him, and, and Ten Hag was right in front of him. He just went, no, don't do that. Wait. And then waited for a particular signal and then did that. Ten Hag is... Something I find quite interesting about Ten Hag as well is when a substitute scores, we often get into the you know interviews and you go, oh, Mr. Ten Hag... Um, your your substitute scored. Should they be pressing for starting next week? And what he often does is he gives an answer that says the reason the substitute scored is because the substitute offered something different to the starter, and the starter also had a very important role in tiring the player. So something he's done quite often recently is play Bruno Fernandez on the right hand side of the four two three one. Fernandez has a very good right foot, can do a lot of in swinging corners. Uh, a lot of in-swing crosses, something that Anthony, who's very left-footed, can't really do. So the question is, oh, is Bruno Fernandes going to be your starting right winger for, for games to come? 
Uh, and Ten Hag often says, well, it's a, it's, it has its use, but you also have to understand that Anthony constantly cutting inside is very useful as well. Uh, and he said, he said words to the effect of, if you have an opponent that gets used to Anthony cutting inside for 45 minutes, having 15 minutes at the end of the game where Bruno Fernandes goes outside just opens up so many more pathways. And that's something I hadn't really considered a football manager considering if that sentence makes sense for you. Yeah, no, does it, I think it does make sense. I think, I, I, I think it goes more back to so what we were discussing about the the way in which he's approached this rebuild, right? There's, there's not necessarily been... Uh, he's, he's, he's not been trapped by ideals, for example. I think he's, he's, he's very much assessing... Um, I don't want to say horses for courses, but he's 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 being very sort of pragmatic, I think, about his approach to uh, everything that he's done so far at United. And one thing I wanted to to bring up as well is naturally Marcus Rashford and the the journey he's been on. I was I was reading a piece that you wrote about sort of the uh, sort of the nature of sporting redemption uh, and uh, sort of the the journey he's been on. And I think it's 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 fair to say that he. I had a real tough time last season. Um, and I think there were criticisms that he received that were unfair, to be honest. I mean, the sort of stuff that you, you'd see rolled out about, you know, just focusing on, on his game and all the stuff off the pitch had distracted him from sort of the, the sort of his own career and things like that. And, um, in, in my head from the outside, and I was always looking at Rashford and thinking, well, there's been quite a lot of disruption here. Nonetheless, injuries as well. That we we talked about and, and Rashford playing through injuries for for United for for a great deal of time. Uh, one of the things that I see when I look at him this season, beyond sort of the confidence, is this this guy looks as fit as I've I, I can remember seeing him. Uh, stronger, uh, quicker, uh, more robust than I can remember seeing him for a very long time. Uh, just speak a little bit about sort of the the progression you think he's made this season and. Uh, the development he's made as well. I think some people were questioning whether he actually could reach the level he's at at the moment. So one of the big things for Rashford coming into 22-23 that he's spoken about and that was different compared to other seasons was he got a preseason. Um, and not only did he have a full preseason, he had a preseason mm-hmm. on top of that. So he he went to Nike headquarters in Portland. He's a Nike athlete. Uh, and he spent, I think, a short period of time training there. Uh, you can sort of see some videos where he's working out some dumbbells and working on his upper body. Uh, and then he turned up to preseason at Carrington. Uh, and what was noticeably different was he got the, I mean, in the NBA parlance, he'd got his man's body. Yeah. So his upper body was, was visibly different to how it was in previous seasons. And you're seeing that in, in some of the goals he's scoring. So the goal he scored against Wolverhampton Wanderers just around Christmas time, uh, a goal he scored against Norwich as well. He is now able to push defenders out of the way using his upper body strength, whereas in previous seasons, he tried to just burst past them with a little bit of speed or a nutmeg. So that, that's that been really important. He's also injury-free. You consider he came, he started last season in October when everyone started in August because he was dealing with his uh, surgery to his shoulder mm-hmm. as well. Uh, in April last year, he had a, just a really bad ankle injury and he was he was playing through the pain barrier there. Uh, he, he's dealt through with two or three injury issues in the previous seasons, whereas this season he's he's not hurt. He, he's not he's not playing through the pain barrier in the same way he has in years previous. He's he's able to wear hard-soled shoes, which is something he wasn't able to do throughout some of those previous seasons. You, you bear in mind that you know before COVID and lockdown, he was he was out for several months because he he, he had a double stress fracture in his back. There was a 
piece of floating bone. There's a piece of bone floating in his foot. So all of that has gone away. He's fit. He, he's he's got more upper body strength, and he's also working on a football manager who has a very very clear plan as to what he wants to do with Marcus Rashford. And at the start of the season, it wasn't a, it wasn't a slam dunk. It wasn't a guarantee that he would be the player we're seeing now. He missed a very presentable chance against Brighton. That was of the you have to score that variety. Mm. Uh, and against Brentford, he was neither here nor there. But what was interesting uh, at that point in time, even when you know, it looked as if the Ten Hag experiment would fail, um, Ten Hag was asked about Marcus Rashford and that missed chance against Brighton. He said, yeah, you know, he'd, he'd want to score that chance. But what's really interesting is that he, he got into that position and we want yeah. to get him into that position constantly. And that's the most important thing. Um, and he brought that up again this week when we were talking about Valvekost after the West Ham game, where he said, you know, Valvekost is doing everything you want. And it's a case of positioning and timing. And when the goals will come, the goals will come. He said Marcus Rashford was very, very similar. He wasn't, he missed a very presentable chance at the start of the season. And then now look at it. I think having that faith in a player is very, very important. And also having the tactical structure to know that, so it's not just one thing of going, Marcus Rashford is still getting those opportunities, but also making sure your football team is constantly looking for Marcus Rashford when he gets into those spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think something similar has happened with Darwin Nunez at Liverpool as well. Darwin Nunez is massively underperforming his XG at the moment, but all the numbers hint at him having a scoring explosion. So the thing you have to do if you're a Liverpool manager is is tell the rest of your players, look for Darwin, keep trusting Darwin, the goals will come. And what you've seen is... You know, that wonderful backfield finish from him and, and that nice little finish against Wolverhampton Wanderers. The goals will come in time. Yeah. No, it's, it's 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 an interesting parallel. I think I think it's also been pretty noticeable that the that the player in Nunez has uh, has has responded to the show of faith that he's that he's been given not only by the manager but I think the he's a a very easy crowd favorite as well to be honest just given the way in which uh, <laughs> he he approaches the game of uh, of football so uh, if when the goals uh, do start flowing and let's you know, I mean, be a little bit tribal let's hope it happens on sunday um, ooh, 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 ooh. I, I i think it, this could uh, yeah this could be uh, this could be fun seeing that other side of his game as well uh, there's a couple of players i, I did want to sort of bring up just cause I, I think they they they've all got their own interesting stories and um, I wonder on your opinion on sort of where where, where their, their, their careers are and when how they will develop. Um, two, I'll just pluck out. One would be uh, Garnacho, who's emerged onto the scene this season um, to, to positive effect, and then Sancho, who's re-emerged onto the scene this season after uh, sort of going through a difficult period of his own, uh, and again looks to be another player who should benefit. You'd imagine from uh, the clarity of role and uh faith from a manager who doesn't seem to get uh easily um you know swayed or uh, carried away yeah yeah i mean first thing garnacho looks to be quite the player uh, i i'm i'm always hesitant to say uh, a academy graduate has it but i will say garnacho has something he's now got five goals off the bench Oh, not off the bench because he started against West Ham. He's now got five, six goals for Manchester United this season. Um, some and, of the dog and, as well. I think there's a, some, some one, of the dog one. in there as well. Uh, he's he's definitely 
he definitely uh, had a little jab at Barcelona during that <laughs> two-legged tie, which I thought was quite funny. Um, and I think what's interesting about him is he is an attacking pest, if that makes sense. He has never seen a defender he doesn't want to run at. And if you are of the, if you're the sort of football fan that thinks football's got too robotic and no one wants to dribble anymore and no one wants to take risks, Garnacho is the sort of player that gets you out of your seat. He, he, if you're in Old Trafford and the ball gets to Garnacho, he's the one that makes you, you know, go, go on, lad, go on, lad, go on, lad. Um, and sometimes it doesn't always come off. There were times in the first half against West Ham where he, he overplayed the ball for sure. And there were times where, like at Fulham, like in the final minutes, I guess West Ham, where his, Ball control, his uh, he's got a little like jinking of the hips, which I quite like, uh, and his ability to get a shot off just creates wonderful things. That goal against West Ham was fantastic. He's very good at taking the ball out of the air. Uh, I don't think teenagers are, are meant to be that good at taking the ball out the air, but he has that, and I think that's very nice. I, I also quite enjoy his sort of Marshall Mathers inspired peroxide blonde breech hair. <laughs> so he is a. Uh, Hopefully, he's a player with, with a bright future in Manchester United. Something that I also found quite telling was at the start of the season, Ten Hag, Ten Hag, Bruno Fernandes and others all said he's got the talent, but he has to really work on it. And he has to, he has to learn the professionalism. We understand he was late for one meeting. Uh, and Eric Ten Hag absolutely hates lateness. He was two minutes, he was a couple of minutes late for one press conference. And before the press conference even began, he said, before we begin, I want to apologize for being late. This frustrates me greatly. And you go, no, wow. He does, he does strike me as that sort of man. Yeah. Very punctual. Very punctual. Very yeah. There you go. Um, and with Jaden Sancho, that that's uh, a little bit more difficult. I think at the start of the season, it looked as if Sancho was going to be a starting player and possibly kick on, and we'll see. You know, the true, the true date, Jaden Sancho, and the, and the player who cost seventy three million and was once quoted a hundred as one hundred and twenty million from Borussia Dortmund, and and unfortunately that's not quite happened. There's been um, questions over his physical capacity. And he has had two or three times where he seemed a little bit reluctant to run at his fullback. So almost the, the opposite to Garnacho. But in the games that he's played since the World Cup pause, he you know, didn't make the England squad. And then during the break, he didn't join Manchester United in Spain for their World Cup tour. He actually went to the Netherlands and trained with some coaches, Eric Ten Hag's recommendation. But since he's come back, he has shown some interesting touches. The The good thing, well... The thing I will eventually write about is why Eric Ten Hag seems to be trying as the number 10 rather than on the left-hand side or the right-hand side. We know Jaden Sanchez is very good in, as a close-control dribbler, but uh, he, he might be uh, a sort of number 10 in the Premier League if he wants to play mm. multiple 90 minutes in a week. The future should be bright for him. Hopefully, he can. Uh, he's, he's, he's dealing with a little bit of illness right now, but hopefully he can get a bit of fitness yeah. and play more 90 minutes. And, and we can see more of the player that was so thrilling in the Bundesliga. Yeah, no, it's, it's probably not a fair comparison, but just immediately when you said that in in, uh, in, in my head, I was thinking about the uh, the emergence of Raheem Sterling uh, really early at Liverpool and sort of some, some of the interesting ways in which Rodgers used Sterling um, around that time. And he did frequently sort of pop up actually in in the 10 uh, or at, at the tip of a diamond at times. And uh, yeah, just... Very intelligent players that you think they should be able to actually have mold themselves to that part of um, into a role like that. It's just whether or not necessarily the league is necessarily the right one for for them to do it in. Uh, but moving on to 
the game this weekend then is an interesting one. We spoke about United's last arrival at Anfield and the shape they were in and the, the mentality that, the, that that they were in at that time in terms of questioning themselves and not just not enjoying football as opposed to where Liverpool were at at the time, which was full of confidence and vim. And I think I remember Thiago being uh, given a standing ovation as he walked off the pitch that day because he was he'd done a Thiago uh, for well, <laughs> the better part of eighty five minutes and. Uh, what, what, actually, what, what one real positive of this season is, uh, is seeing what looks like it's the undoubted influence of Batacic, who's emerged this season, being able to train with uh, Thiago, which is uh, obviously sort of not a bad uh, midfield to try and model yourself on. But uh, yeah, I don't think Thiago is going to be going to be present this Sunday, unfortunately. But uh, in terms of where the sides um, uh, arrive at Anfield this time. I think you've got a Liverpool side whose confidence is still very fragile. Uh, I think there's um, a lack of clarity when it comes to the approach at the moment. Um, and I think there's uh, the past two games, certainly against Palace and against Wolves before things sort of broke open a little bit last night. Um, seemed to be a lot of endeavour, no, no doubting that, but no real uh, obvious um, system or pattern that you could look at to see, oh, this is where a goal is going to come from. And so, lo and behold, it, it was a set piece that ends up causing the breakthrough. Uh, United look the opposite, look very clear of thought, uh, a clear of purpose, full of confidence, enjoying playing together streetwise. Lots of things that you could level against um, Liverpool this season. So it's a very interesting uh, 360 turnaround, if you will. Mm, bit, of a, uh, bit of a momentum swap. Right, exactly. So in, in, given that, and given what you've seen numerous sides do to Liverpool this season, uh, both home and away, um, how do you imagine Ten Hag is going to approach this one? Uh, and and also, just be good to get your thoughts on uh, what's gone on at Liverpool this season, your sort, your sort of own impression of of how things have unfolded. Well, I'll have a piece on the Athletic with Kiva O'Neill, the Liverpool writer. Also, Kiva O'Neill will be describing Manchester United season. I'll be describing Liverpool season. And I'll be going up before the weekend, uh, before kickoff truly begins. But I think what's been really interesting for this Liverpool team is how badly momentum swapped. So we, we often talk about being lucky and good. And I think before the season started, I had Liverpool to finish second in the Premier League. I thought City would be runaway winners. Uh, I said the gap between City and Liverpool would be larger than what it would be in previous seasons. Part of that is because I thought Saudi Amane going and Darwin Nunez coming in would cause a bit of a dip in the effectiveness of the attack. And I also thought, you know, they'd have a lot of miles on the clock. I didn't see any central midfield reinforcement. I, I have uh, thoroughly divested from Naby Keita and his potential. And I thought, Henderson another year, James Milner another year, Thiago another year, Fabinho another year. That's that's maybe a bridge too far. They probably need to get someone else in. What shocked me is just how much of a decline some of those players have had. I in particular Fabinho. Um I did totally football on Monday. Uh, and there was a point where I just stopped and went to Sasha Gurinov. I don't what's happened to Fabinho? He looks heavy. And slow, and, and to which uh, Sasha pointed out the injury he had in in May. Was it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what injury that was, but he said perhaps that was that um, exacerbated some issues with him there. Uh, so I think the midfield is something that needs to be massively addressed from Liverpool, uh, and the fact they went out and grabbed Cody Gakpo in January was hmm. interesting. Yeah. 
You know, it's the sort of club. It's the sort of clever. It, it make it will make sense eventually. I think Cody Gakpo is so talented that when Liverpool get their full strength team, he will look amazing in it. But I am going. Hmm. Why are you doing that before you get Liverpool to be a full strength team? Yeah, um, it's an interesting so, choice. Yeah. yeah, and I think one reason why Stefan Biakete, uh, have I said that correct? I think it's Basetich, but yeah. Basetich. Yeah. Um, one reason why he stood out so much this season for Liverpool is that he is basically the only, apart from Thiago, he's, he's the only midfielder you have who can receive these back towards goal. Yeah. And I think um, there was a wonderful example of it last night, wasn't there? Where I think Alison gave him, I'm not sure you probably, probably haven't seen it, but one of the worst passes you can imagine, <laughs> fizzing it into him at shin height uh, whilst two players converged on him. And he basically takes it on the turn. And uh, like does a pirouette and and yep. feeds it off, right? That's that's not something I mean, you're going to see many others doing. Even you know, even when James Milner and Jordan Henderson were at their peak, they weren't entirely comfortable. They weren't doing that. No. the back towards goal in such a midfield, especially in such a midfield. Henderson in particular would, would drift a little bit wider to receive to be more comfortable doing that. The angle, yeah. so it, it became a case of Fabinho and or Thiago to do that. Fabinho's not a player; he used to be Thiago, who isn't always fit. So it's fallen to that one individual to receive the ball with his back towards goal. Um, I think, you know, at its peak, Liverpool team would press you really high up the field. The midfield would be very good at uh, managing space and retaining possession. And the defence would man- beat their 1v1s. What you've got this season is a front three that can't press that well high up the field because it's chopping and changing and there's so many players injured. You know, it's no coincidence Liverpool look better now Diogo Jota's back because he's one of the guys who says, yep, I've got this all downloaded, no worries. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, So there's that. The midfield, I don't think can solve the midfield situation without going to the transfer market. No. And in, in, in defence, Virgil van Dijk's been injured for a while. Trent Alexander-Arnold, there are now questions to be asked more than the question of it's due to this fact that you know, the sensible person says it's not to do with Trent's defending. It's due to the, you know, who's the person tracking back to cover the space that Trent leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, but also now there are questions to be asked about, well, there's that, you know, the person who used to track back Henderson can't do it as much. But I still think there's some questions to be asked about Trent's ability to defend as well. I'd agree. Um, I'd agree. I am, I am in the same way I'm going, what happened to Fabinho? I'm having going, what happened to Joe Gomez? Because he looked yeah, phenomenal. He looked phenomenal in 2018, 2019, and now looks not to that football player as well. Uh, so I think that is that is the the short well the short sensible answer to what happened to Liverpool: <laughs> rotten luck with injuries, failure to address um, transfer needs mm-hmm. in, in central midfield, and, and an attack unfortunately that's got too much to do. Yeah, no, I think it's. Uh, I think that's very fair, and uh, it's 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 been interesting of late actually because you you mentioned Fad there, and actually in the past two games, I would say, uh, and certainly last night against Wolves, um, I think he probably had his best best game for a very long time, and it, it, it wasn't. It's, it's by far uh, 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 from a perfect midfield, right? Harvey Elliott, I think there's. I still don't really understand uh, viewing him as a midfielder um, at the <laughs> moment, um, but yeah, he's he's nineteen, and uh, Stefan Basetic is eighteen or nineteen. Um, both yep. of them can run; uh, they really can run. And uh, <laughs> Fabinho did seem to be relishing uh, looking around himself last night and go, "Oh, actually, hang on. <laughs> I can I can focus on uh, the defensive side of my game, the positioning, and not have to worry about chasing everywhere because." 
I let's face it, cannot do that any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, never been, n- never was necessarily the, the strong suit of his game. He's never been the quickest. So I do wonder, I hope that was noticed last night. It did seem to be pretty apparent that uh, having legs around um, someone like Fab might make him, make the decline less, less pronounced. And, and Van Dyke as well did seem to be a bit more uh, no frills, uh, perhaps not the finesse that we've seen from Van Dyke at his, his best, but uh getting back to defending at all costs effectively so i wonder if that's going to be a trend that we we see continuing but anyway you 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 were, you were going to talk about sort of how you think ten hag is going to approach this i think ten hag would probably tell his players to approach this like how they'll approach any other game that, that if you approach this with the this is liverpool versus manchester united then you will add an emotional narrative to this game that you perhaps make more mistakes where I think United are in such good momentum at the moment that if 10 hour goes, this is just a football team. This is just a football team in not very good form, to be honest with you. And you are in very good form. If you, you know, stick to your 10 hour likes to use the term rules and principles. I think 10 hour will go stick to your rules and principles. Remember the, the importance of your back three, Casemiro, Licha and Rafael Varane. Hopefully Luke Shaw will come back. And I'm sure you know, Ten Hag will probably have a very pragmatic 2018-esque plan for Marcus Rashford to attack the space behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, I think it's pretty hard to to go against that. And I think I, I'd be stunned if there's not uh, some conversation going on where Casemiro is, is pointing out to his United teammates, look what my mates did <laughs> a couple of a mere matter of days ago. Like even my older friends from <laughs> from the midfield um were yeah, I think punishing errors in a way in which you you rarely see sides uh execute sort of uh, ruthlessness and attack. Uh, certainly was that five two uh, I think I think that's why that that win last night as of course against a, a equally sort of a wolf side that is still struggling to get themselves out of the relegation battle hopefully will prove somewhat important so Liverpool go into that game with, with a bit more confidence than they would have done if it was another drab drab nil-nil but I think yeah it's it's it, it's set up to be a very interesting contest I think it's uh amazing these games are very rarely entertaining no oh yeah Jim of Red Monday <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, will, I will never forget Red Monday all that hype and blast an extra hour and <laughs> you know. <laughs> Sky Sports only for the the dullest nil nil. Um, these games are very rarely entertaining, and if they are, if they do have goals, it does tend to lead to a procession for one side or the other. Mm, yeah. um, so, I mean, I mean, and also these games often seem to be decided by the the um, the less glamorous players, shall we say? Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right on that. This yeah. is the game for for you know. This is the game where Naby Keita scores a goal. This is the game where. Yeah. Where where Fred has influence. This is the game where your, your second choice right back comes in and has a bad yeah. game. This is the game where Dirk, Dirk Hout scores one of the worst <laughs> hat tricks you'll ever see in your life. Efficiency, so, an efficient yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you call it efficiency, I'll call it <laughs> not not aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. No, it's um, yeah, it's. I think you're right. I think in, in my head, it's uh, it's John O'Shea. Uh, which is that's, that's something I don't enjoy. There you go. Enjoy still remembering after all the recent success Liverpool have had. I still <laughs> still do remember John O'Shea ruining some of my weekends. Uh, so, Carl, as as usual, like whenever we're chatting about football, we could, we could go on for a long time, of course. But thank, I do appreciate you coming on and 
sharing your 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 perspective on what has been a I think a, a remarkable turnaround. I remember us talking right at the start of the season, and it was hard not to feel hopeless at times. But yeah, I think there's it's a real advert for just diligent hard work uh, and rules and principles, like you say, from from Eric Ten Hag. So <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. Before we do wrap up, was there anything that you wanted to? You mentioned that piece you're doing alongside the Liverpool writer for the Athletic as well. Um, is there anything you wanted to plug ahead of the ahead of the game? No, that's that's my main work at the moment. So I I I will not be at Anfield this weekend. Uh, I'll, I'll be incognito working on a longer term piece involving <laughs> Dutch football. But um, yeah, if you're a subscriber to the Athletic, please please check out that piece. So it'll be me commenting on Liverpool uh, and Kiefer O'Neill writing about Manchester United um, because you know, they they say your your greatest rival, your greatest enemy knows you better than you know yourself sometimes. So. Liverpool fans, let me know if I've I've got it right when I when I think what's going right or wrong with Liverpool this season. Yeah, no, I, I I think it was a fairly balanced take on it. To be honest, I think there there's a, a number of different factors, um, and it's uh, yeah, I think just like you were saying with the the summers that went past and the windows that went past with, without the defensive midfielder coming in, uh, I think when when the first midfielder, whoever it is, honestly, whoever it is. Does get signed for central midfield, it is going to feel somewhat surreal. <laughs> it's going to be a bit, <laughs> bit, 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 bit strange. The unveiling, the leaning, uh, the photo shoot. I'm sure it's going to be heavily uh, uh, high levels of engagement on uh, on that content. But um, uh, to all those who've been listening uh, to to these rival recon pods uh, on Anfield Index Pro throughout the season, I appreciate you sticking with us. It has uh, not been as easy or fun as uh, recent seasons. You've been spoiled. We've all been spoiled. Uh, there'll be another one ahead of uh, Bournemouth, a trip to Bournemouth down to the down to the, the seaside uh, on the 11th of March. Uh, but between now and then, do check out all the other great content on the channel. I'm sure there's going to be plenty around the United game. But yeah, we'll be back again with another episode of Rival Recon ahead of that trip to Bournemouth. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.